Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Good Good Judgment Judgment Podcast. Podcast. Folks, this episode is a part of a multi-episode series. Please be sure and listen to the prior episodes in the series. Otherwise, what we say in this episode may make even less sense than usual. So, Tane, we... We've talked earlier about all these strictly construed statutes and that 30-day deadline being an absolute without a, um, an agreement or somehow finding that the defendant's evading service. But, Tane, we've been in a judicial emergency. And, you know, unprecedented and all of those words happen. Sometimes you get a weather local emergency. I mean, it, judicial emergency is the, the one we're all coming out of right now. But sometimes there's some other reasons that the courthouse has to be not accessible or hearings have to be canceled. Yeah. What happens, Tane, when you when you find that there's like a judicial emergency statewide or a local emergency? Does that mean that you can just have the hearing whenever you want to? No. So let's say we have snowpocalypse again and uh, courthouse is closed for for two days um, and you have a 30 day window in which to conduct the hearing. Then the ostensibly the deadline would be extended only for the number of days that it was that the courthouse was unavailable to conduct that hearing. So if it's 30, if it's closed for two days, it's a 32 day window. Instead of 30. And that's from the date the petition was originally filed. And all of those cases are there in the outline, should you need them. Now, we've talked about the the applicable evidentiary standards, but let's talk about we're going to a final hearing now. We've issued, we've issued an ex parte. We've gotten some service accomplished, and we're going to go to our final hearing. Understand the burden of proof is on the petitioner. And I think sometimes judges, because a lot of these folks are, pro, are self-represented, I almost said pro se, the, the burden of proof is on the petitioner to prove family and violence. And I'm kind of doing a one, two with my fingers here, family and violence, not to prove all the other details. I mean, if, if it's a detail that's not relevant, that's fine, but they must prove family and violence. And we've got some state, some, some some cases here that talk about the due process rights of the defendant and why it's so important that that hearing be conducted within 30 days. Now, Tane, you know, we all do things differently across Georgia. I know you're shocked to learn that. That is shocking. Failing to conduct a timely hearing when the petitioner is sworn in as a witness and respondent has an opportunity to cross-examine and I don't know, the respondent may want to present some evidence and then that be cross-examined by the petitioner. If you don't do that within 30 days, it must result in a dismissal. So I think that in our minds, we are all thinking, well, hey, we just didn't have a hearing within 30 days. If you don't have some of those basic due process elements be a part of the hearing you did have within 30 days, you haven't had a hearing within 30 days. Therefore, yeah, that, the case must be dismissed. Now, to be fair, Tane, that's a dismissal without prejudice. If for some reason it needed to be, you could that that petitioner could refile. That's not a finding on the merits. Yeah, that makes and that makes sense too. So, Tane, there was a misconception that a lot of people, both in family violence and in stalking cases, had that this this act of family violence must have been fairly recent for it to justify ex parte relief. In other words, if it happened a year ago or two years ago, and that's the most recent event you were citing in your petition, then it must not have been very bad. So we don't, we wouldn't grant those. 
Well, come to find out, lo and behold, fairly recent, doesn't appear in that statute, Tane. That doesn't really no, sound right. like Can you imagine the statute says, if it was fairly recent? <laughs> As determined by the judge yeah. in his or her discretion. <laughs> so fairly recent is not in the statute. And, and there's no. a case on this that really, I think, explains it well uh, called Lewis v. Lewis. It's in the outline that talks about if that alleged bad act occurred a long time ago and it was an isolated incident, that those facts might very well impact the judge's finding of whether or not, quote, an act of family violence has occurred and is likely to recur. Mm-hmm. Right. If it's one mm-hmm. time, it was a long time ago, then it's not likely to recur. You might deny that petition, right. but it must be fairly recent to be actionable. It's just simply not in the statute. Well, and, and think about that. I can think of some circumstances where that would make sense. Let's say this horrible act of family violence occurred five years ago. But immediately after that, the defendant went to prison and was in prison for the last five years and is now out and has threatened to be knocking on the door or has sent a letter saying, I'll be back and, you know, I'll be I'll be moving in with you and you'll get what's coming to you. I mean, or, you know, something like sure. that. That that makes sense. Absolutely. And there's a case that talks about exactly that. Now, Tane, when just like every other order we enter, we you probably ought to consider the logistics when you're doing these. Does the party work at the only hospital in town? If you forbid the other party from going to the only hospital available, I mean, that's a problem. Does a party live on a main thoroughfare that the other party would have to drive by to go anywhere basically in town? Do they attend the same school? Do they work at the same place? You might have to be fashioning a restraining order that keeps them away from one another at the club on Saturday night, but allows them to go to work at the factory on Monday. And you can't just cut and paste this sometimes. Yeah, that, that's a it has to be based on reasonable parameters. So if you if you ever have to find the the type of of relief you are authorized to con, to grant, that's nineteen thirteen four a. Now, Tane, there's a really recent case and called Sullivan versus Cabanyi. I'm sorry if I hacked that name, K-U-B-A-N-Y-I, a 2021 case where the judge in a stalking case said that as a part of the relief I'm granting in this final action, you no longer can have your drone, sir, because he thought that the drone might be used to spy on the, the, the other party. And they basically, the the court said, that's just simply not applicable. And they cited that Rawcliffe case we talked already, and all of this is in the outline. But, Tane, we just can't do what we're not authorized to do, right? Right. You can't give relief that, (laughs) even though it might be creative and might make sense to you, if it's not authorized by the statute, again, these are in derogation of common law, they have to be strictly construed, and what that means is if it doesn't give you certain powers, you don't inherently have them. Correct. So if granted, if you need to form orders that are available on the, on the clerk's corrupt cooperative website, I struggle with this because of all the Cs, gsccca.org. That's in the outline if you need it. Um, 
that, that all the forms associated with TPOs are there talking about child custody, child support, spousal support, possession of vehicles, property, etc. Um, I usually add some taint. I usually add some language in the other section at the end of that final form that prevents the parties from contacting each other on social media, either directly or indirectly referencing one another on social media. It's just it's one of those things where you just see way too often um, parties talking to or about one another via social media. The order team, that final order needs to be served upon the respondent. You need to be able to prove that that was served because it might become relevant one day, I don't know, in an aggravated stalking case. Exactly. And if you don't have a written <laughs> order, that might be problematic. Also, Tane, you have the right to order people to participate in family violence intervention programs, FVIP. There's a list of approved providers in that citation. Uh, the, the list is, is maintained by the Georgia Commission on Family Violence, and their website address is in our um, outline if warranted, you can grant a reasonable attorney's fees, and we're just not going to – I just refuse to talk anymore about attorney's fees on our Good Judgment podcast here for a little while. Are you okay with that? <laughs> yeah, we're taking a holiday on that. Yeah. So what is permanent, Tane? I mean, when we talk about a permanent protective order, you mean forever? Always and forever. So sometimes it's a really it does. popular song in the 80s. It was. So understand that, that this is kind of important to understand. You may issue a 12-month protective order upon yes. motion and notice to the respondent. You may convert that 12-month protective order to either a three-year order or a truly permanent protective order, a really permanent protective order. But you have to have – that's not the first stop. You don't have that those options available to you. At first stop, once an order has been entered, a 12-month order has been entered, you can convert them. Now, Tane, there are times, and this is, this is a, I don't know, somewhat controversial issue. There are times when a TPO action comes before you, maybe the parties don't qualify as family. There's some fact about it that you don't think qualifies. However, it's pretty clear they don't need to have contact with one another. What to do then? Well, you can't issue a family violence protective order if they're not family. Right. You could just simply deny the petition and send them on. You're probably going to see them again here in a few minutes, maybe in the parking lot of the courthouse. <laughs> um, there's a case called Birch v. Birchby, B-I-R-C-H-B-Y, v. Carboy, C-A-R-B-O-Y. I've cited in the in the outline. The Court of Appeals talked about a that the court has the authority to convert, I guess, a TPO, family violence TPO, to a civil restraining order, but only with the consent of the petitioner. You know, That's a civil really restraining important. order attained like 91165 sort of you're coming on my property and cutting my trees and I don't want I want you to quit coming on my property. That kind of restraining order that is actionable by a contempt, not ag stalking. So you can do it, but it requires the consent of the petitioner. There's a case from this past year called Roden versus Roden that they talk about that same thing, that you don't have the authority to grant a civil restraining order without the consent of the petitioner. That's key. So, Tane, you've issued this restraining order. 
you think it's just that's just the way it is and for the next 12 months it has to be or do you think you have the authority to modify it well i mean let's think about it it's a it's a type of continuing judgment uh that essentially goes forward kind of like our uh, divorce decrees and things like that do so it makes sense that it would be subject to some form of modification in, in the future man you are so smart i mean there are case law. There's actually some case law that says you do have. Don't hold up the, the. Don't don't hurt yourself. Don't hold up the outline. Um, there is some case law that says you do have that authority. You have the the authority to decrease the duration of the protective order upon the the petition of the respondent. You you can change the conditions upon the petition of either. You could terminate it. I mean, whatever you need to do, as long as somebody asks and you have a hearing. Um, and they talk about the material change in circumstances, that same language we use in domestic relations, that as long as there's something you can point to that's a material change in circumstances. So, Tame, we've talked enough about family violence. There's some more details, but we could come back to it. Let's talk for a minute about stalking TPOs. You may have noticed that up until this point, almost this entire episode has been about family violence protective orders, at least the, the detail. The reason we focus so much time, Tane, and attention on family violence orders is because the stalking statutes, which can be found at 16590 at SEC, specifically say all of the process and procedure relating to stalking TPOs it shall be governed by the Family Violence Protective Order statutes. So in, right. instead of re reestablishing all that law, they just said, see that other section for the how questions of how you have jurisdiction, how you have venue, how you have all, you know, what kind of relief the court can grant, et cetera. Go look at that other statutory scheme. We're just going to do one or two little statutes here about stat stalking protective orders, and that's why we spent so much time on them, family violence orders in the beginning. <laughs> Folks, we'll be right back after this pause for station identification. Folks, this is Wade and Tane. You're listening to the Good Judgment Podcast on the World Wide Web or wherever else you listen to these things. As always, you can find outlines for these podcast episodes as well as any supplemental materials on our website, which is goodjudgepod.com. We'd love to have your feedback about the podcast, and we get that at our email, goodjudgepod at gmail.com. We're always looking for suggested podcast topics. Please feel free to submit your suggestions to us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Operators are standing by. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to like us and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And tell your friends it's how we get to grow our listenership. Thanks. And now back to our studio audience. So, Tane, if, if I were to ask you to define stalking, and don't tell me it's like pornography, you'll know it when you see it. <laughs> tell me what the definition is. Sure. So you go to OCGA section 16.590, and it's actually in subsection A1, says a person commits the offense of stalking when he or she follows, places under surveillance, or contacts another person at or about a place or places without the consent of the other person for the purpose of harassing and intimidating the other person. So now, Tane, what does harassing and intimidating mean? 
Luckily, that's also established by the uh, statute. It says the term harassing and intimidating means a knowing and willful course of conduct directed at a specific person, which causes emotional distress by placing such person in reasonable fear for such person's safety or the safety of a member of his or her immediate family by establishing a pattern of harassing and intimidating behavior and which serves no legitimate purpose. So you're going to notice course of conduct and pattern being in that language. The cases are real clear that a single incident that would otherwise probably be pretty good evidence that somebody was trying to surveil or follow or harass or whatever, that is insufficient to find stalking. And we've got those cases set forth in our outline you're going to see in a case called kaufman versus the state which is a a stalking criminal prosecution that the court of appeals said we have held that this phrase course of conduct dictates a pattern of behavior that must be shown but such pattern may include the prior history between the parties even if it's not just right you know this one little incident one little time frame so the, ca- the, the cases that cite this use words like ongoing and repetitious. I guess, Tane, you are getting a sense, wow, wait, I got the point. I said, well, the reason is there are a lot of people who will say, he followed me home, I am scared. One time. Right. And if that's not a part of an overall pattern of behavior that you compare with other activity, it doesn't have to be repetitious right now. It could be a part of a, a pattern of conduct that dates back five years when we broke up or whatever. Be, and it can also be conduct that has built over time, you know, yeah. it started out with harassing phone calls and then it's escalated to, uh, you know, threatening words. And then he followed me home and now, uh, you know, now it's stalking. You know, Tane, this is probably going to be incredibly unpopular in anybody who is reviewing this from a certain context, but I, th- I think that it, it's worthy of saying I have sort of a, a memory of um, dating people and the relationship ending and somebody doing something stupid to express yeah. their disappointment. Yeah. You can't keep being stupid. Right? right? You it's can't. like the one bite rule for dogs. You can be stupid once, but you can't be repeatedly stupid. And I don't want to say that because, you, I mean, obviously, if you hurt somebody or whatever, that's a whole other planet. But you can can say something mean on social media. You could send a card that, you know, was ugly or whatever, but then stop and grow up and go on. I'm going to give you a little bit of room immediately post-relationship but we're not going to carry on. That's the difference between them and me. You know what I mean? Right. So as we talked about all the mechanics relating to the stalking protective order within the statute, basically say, go see the family violence protective order statute specifically the, but there's one thing that I want to make sure everybody's clear on, because this also has become sort of a recent, recent trend Tane. The statute 16594A says when a person who is not a minor alleges stalking a that by another person, that person can seek a restraining order by filing a petition. A person who is not a minor may also seek a, a petition for relief on behalf of a minor. 
Tane, unfortunately, um, we have seen a little bit of trend lately of high school students' parents filing a stalking protective order petition on behalf of their high school child who is allegedly being bullied at the local high school by other students. And, right. and whether you can issue one of these against a minor, I don't even want, want to turn over that whole, that whole thing because, I mean, if you normally, Tane, if you sue a minor, you have to sue people as next friend of minor. So anyway, all of that, just understand that, that you can't, the minors can't seek a, a, a TPO directly and for stalking and, I'm not, not sure what relief you can grant against a person who is a minor relative to their personal conduct. That's one of those things that sometimes I call my friends in juvenile court and say, hey, I need you to do something. <laughs> this person's coming to see you, right? And then hopefully they can take it up there. Right. Um, just remember, Tane, we, we've got a lot of these against neighbors and, and people who live in the neighborhood. Former, There's a bunch of cases about uh, people who, who perform home improvements allegedly stalking you, seeking payment, and all that kind of stuff. The big difference between stalking and family violence, there is no requirement of a relationship to get a stalking TPO, right? That is correct. So, Tane, we went to a seminar recently, and you and I learned something brand new and exciting. We did. Dating violence protective orders. There is a a, a whole new code section and. Uh, that is it's got one of these new you know how we have hey this is where this really fits so we're going to write this whole new little code section so it's 19-13a-1 when i first saw that i thought somebody was lying (laughs) 19-13a-1 so tane that statute defines people being in a dating relationship that they're a protective order may issue upon proof of Dating violence, dating relationship. Can, how about reading that right quick so that everybody yeah. hears the definition? Yeah, so dating relationship is defined as a committed romantic relationship characterized by a level of intimacy that is not associated with mere friendship or between persons in an ordinary business, social, or educational context, provided, however, that search term shall not require sexual involvement. So in other words, you got to have cer- a certain level of, uh, of relationship with each other that goes beyond just normal day-to-day interactions. So dating violence, as defined in this statute, now that we've decided that they are in a dating relationship, it says that, and I'm just going to read this, the occurrence of one or more of the following acts between persons through whom a current pregnancy has developed or persons currently are within the last six months were in a dating relationship. And then it lists any felony and the commission of the offenses of simple battery, battery, simple assault, or stalking. Interestingly, that's not the same list that's in the family violence list because they don't do that criminal damage and the other there was something else as well. That it didn't list the other offenses. It says any felony and these. That's and, right. And, and all it's this, also limited, limited to relationships within this past six months. Yeah. So, Tane, I think you, I, I, you and I have not talked about this before right this moment. I think you're right. already getting a sense of doom of if I had to hear one of these, 
I got to figure out whether all this has been proven, right? Absolutely. And this statute became effective in July on July first, twenty twenty one. They they I think they now have published the forms they had not until just recently. Same sort of issues relative to the jurisdiction and the long arm act and all of that. The same time constraints. It must it must um, be heard within thirty days. They don't point to the family violence statutes here. They they set them forth in full again. But, Tane, your fear is being realized. Look at 19-13A-4A1. Yes. Tell the folks just what the A1 says. It says, in order to determine if a protective order alleging dating violence shall be granted, the court shall provide findings of fact establishing that. And, and then, then it goes the on. And, and But now just, you know what, we, we really need to explain. These are the things that you are must make issue findings of fact about. Tane, can you read those? I know that's a lot. Yeah, sure. First, A, there is a committed romantic relationship between the parties that is not associated associated with mere friendship or ordinary business, social, or educational fraternization. B, factors exist which corroborate the dating relationship. C, the parties developed interpersonal bonding above a mere casual fraternization. D, the length of the relationship between the parties is indicative of a dating relationship. E, the nature and frequency of the party's interactions included communications, I'm sorry, including communications, indicate the parties intended to be in a dating relationship. F, the parties by statement or conduct demonstrated an affirmation of their relationship to others. Or G, both parties have acknowledged the dating relationship. So this isn't the relationships that I created in my mind in high school where I thought I was dating somebody, they didn't really know who I was, that sort of thing. You know, Tane, in the, I've been married to my wife by basically my adult life, I mean, by and large. So I, I'm not really, you know, been a single man during the time of my majority, I guess. Right. But at the end of the day, there have been a lot of relationships I have heard about where you might think we were dating. I thought we were hanging out. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. and I, I don't know. And, and I'm sure there is an absolute factual scenario under which this makes a ton of sense. But anyway, I don't, I don't want to keep Friend, friends with benefits. Yeah. Uh, I was going to go down there. Complicated. I yeah. know that in, in college, there was this one person that I had a friend who was a girl, not a girlfriend. And she said, "Hey, we were over at having drinks and, uh, Susan, I'll, not her real name. Um, <laughs> not her real name. told me that you and she were dating. I was like, what? Uh, what? So anyway, Luckily for us judges and us Neanderthal judges, the new forms have checkbox check boxes for all of this that if you think there's been evidence proven, it can be just checked. I tried to scare you a little bit, Tane, that you were going to have to make all these findings if you ever became a senior judge. Yeah, thanks. But now it just has check boxes, okay? Ah, check boxes are great. Oh, and I there's don't. really no case law on this, but I think it all is sort of in keeping, in, in, except for all the required findings, it's in keeping with 
a lot of the other case law and family violence and stalking protective orders. So, Tane, let's recap what we've learned today. I know this is going to be a part of a multi-part episode, and I apologize for the length, but we thought it would be important that we cover lots of different stuff to make sure we have a pretty adequate uh, presentation of the topic. Well, it's been really informative for me, Wade. I appreciate that very much. And I guess one of the very first things in wrapping up that we need to remember is these are civil cases. There are clearly similarities between these cases and criminal cases. But at the at the end of the day, um, there is an entirely different burden of proof. And they are, in fact, civil cases. I frequently warn parties that when we are in a protective order hearing, a final hearing, that anything they say can be used in another context or another type of hearing. And I always have these taken down by a court reporter at my expense so that the, the, the parties don't have an expense to take that down. I ask her to take it down just in case somebody says something stupid. Again, because this is one of those kinds of cases that keep us up at night, Tane. That's right. The The next thing to remember is they're clear, defined procedures that must be followed in all of these different types of protective order cases. Uh, and time is of the essence. In other words, failure to conduct the final hearing on a timely basis renders any order that might be produced as a result of a, an untimely final hearing simply a nullity. That order's of uh, null and void. We have a, another thing we learned today. We have a new type of action, dating violence protective orders. That's become the law for about almost a year now, which have some of the same features as family violence or stalking actions, but which require some specific findings by the trial judge. Luckily, we have a cheat sheet. I'm going to throw you a curveball, Wade, because we didn't talk about this ahead of time. But is there a ramification of issuing one of these orders as it relates to somebody's ability to possess firearms? Well, I'm really glad you asked, and we probably should have talked about that long before the wrap-up. See, people have to listen to the whole episode to get all See, the gems. See, you got to stay till the end. Um, it's like those Marvel movies where they do the thing after the credits. So, <laughs> wow. So, um, yeah, there are. If you, and, and this is a federal law, so it's not a state law. It's not something you can prevent. If this action is, if you have entered an order, it is a permanent prohibitor from the possession of a firearm. So having an air, an army base here, generally people in the military need to be able to possess legally firearms. I mean, that's kind that's of part of their good deal. Thing. Yeah. If you get one of these issues issued against a soldier, they're done. And because they just simply can't possess a firearm. And so that's why it is so important that you, that you make sure a, these are warranted. But B, that you understand that as a collateral penalty, the possession of a firearm is absolutely prohibited by federal law. Even stalking protective orders, the the feds do that same thing. So thanks for reminding me of that. Yeah, sure. Uh, It was something that I learned about that a while back, and I thought it was an interesting tidbit. Well, listen, folks, remember this episode was suggested by a listener, and you too can have your great idea kicked around by us by sending your ideas to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Please also visit our website at goodjudgepod.com for the outlines of today's episode and all of our other episodes. With all that shameless request for ideas and essentially begging for listeners to rate and review our little podcast for reasons we're not really clear on, I guess that wraps up today's episode. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. And if we don't see you around here, 
Well, we'll see you around and here. I, I don't know. I don't Can I do that sense. for you? Please do. If we don't see you around here, we'll see you around here. Oh, wow. See, I blew that. I totally killed that. All right. Let's just, that's it. Let's just end this one. That's it. Well, folks, that's all we have for another exciting and enthralling topic here on the Good Judgment Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. This project was the brainchild of Mr. Doug Ashworth, the executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to the entire University of Georgia College of Law for assisting in our recording. Thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped edit out some of our stupidity and awkwardness. But nobody can get it all. Tane and I are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court Judges across Georgia. Thanks to our NJO graduates who've been willing to help with this podcast series. You know that these are our opinions, and they do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, CSCJ, the University of Georgia College of Law, or anybody else for that matter. You can contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com for any praise, but please contact someone else with any complaints. But seriously, we would love to have your feedback, both good and bad. Send any comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. You've been doing a great job doing that. We really appreciate the help. You can also visit our website at goodjudgepod.com for outlines and more details about our podcasts. Once again, I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Good Judge Men Podcast.